Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. We are in a series called Sex on Sundays. And we are a church that likes to practice what we preach. Just to let you know, we are a church that believes that when the word is preached, there must be obedience that follows. So just in that vein of thought, to let you know that Fiona and I are pregnant. Um, yeah. So uh, there you go. Trying to keep up with Duran and Kirsty, but it's tough. It's tough. Hey guys, it's tough, you know. But, um, but our, our, we are about six weeks pregnant, which lines up to the start of the series. So just saying, we are people who follow. When God speaks, we obey. So there you go. There we go. We should preach on finances. Maybe increases will come. Who knows? This is happening. But um, all, all this exciting. God's doing really cool things, and it's really exciting uh, to be together. But also as a family, there's also moments of pain and stuff. And it just, uh, just in this moment, there are people in our church also hurting. We've got Paul and Vicky who lost their dad, dad and father-in-law, Paul Nash. Uh, we know uh, Shirley lost her, her dad this week, and and and, and Yanni and Philip, who also at the back there, they 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 lost their son. So we re- the Bible tells us rejoice with those who rejoice, but also mourn with those who mourn. And we we love you guys, and we're thinking and praying for you, and we really are we are yeah we we really want to know that we love you guys. We're thinking of you lots wherever Paul Nash is. There you are, my back man. We love you guys and love your family deeply. And uh, so just. It's these sort of things, these sort of moments where it's a privilege to be part of a family. So I just want to say, if you are not knitted into this family, we believe this is a great family to belong to. We want to celebrate with those who are celebrating and mourn with those who are mourning. Because in the highs and lows in life, this is what we do. Um, so it's a real privilege to be together today. It's in that vein that um, we are in week five of our Sex on Sunday series. And uh, I thought it was about this time that it will be good just to take you to a real special date in my life. The 22nd of February 2014 was uh, the year, the day that Fiona and I tied the knot. It was a special day. Um, I'll send you photos later, or maybe next week we'll just play the whole wedding video. No, 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 won't do that. Don't worry, we won't put you through that. But it was an incredible day. We uh, we we had our wedding at Long Ridge Estate, which is a wine farm in Stellenbosch, overlooking Table Mountain. It was a beautiful day. Uh, Fiona walked down to uh, Don't Let Me Go by Gangs of Ballet. As she came around the corner with her dad, I started to ugly cry. Yep, ugly cry. I told the camera, Put it on her. Put it on her. Get it off me. It was just those days, one of those days you'll never forget. I can remember the emotions, the feelings. The, the It was just one of those most special days as um, as a dream came true. You know, when I, just the girl that I, that I loved said yes to me. It was incredible. And it was a special, special moment. What often isn't covered is what happened the next day. Now, don't worry. It's PG-13 as well. Relax, relax. Um, but the next day, because of I've got some friends who, you know, when the, the tradition of trashing the car, uh, when, uh, the, the groomsmen will go and trash the car, they, they did a great job at that. So it was so trash that we had to drive to honeymoon, so we really couldn't make much progress. So the next morning, we spent the first three, four hours of our first day of marriage, official day of marriage, at a car wash in Somerset West. And the only seating that was available was wedged in between two dustbins full of rubbish. And uh, with the nice smell of oil and petrol filling our nostrils, and, uh, and Fiona and I snacking on some knickknacks from the garage store that morning, I looked at her and I said, is this what you imagined day one to be like? <laughs> and I say all that with, with uh, maybe a little bit of tongue-in-cheek and a little bit jokingly, but actually the, the reality is that Hollywood and Disney sell us this narrative of what romance will look like, what the love story will look like. It tells us, that, again, it says this love at first sight. 
He, he, their eyes met and they fell in love and it was, it was, it was quirky comebacks. It was great dialogue. Everyone was laughing. It was amazing. And then there was followed by earth shattering sex. It was just incredible. It was like, wow, Barry White and all was on tap, ready to go. And then there was one dramatic fallout. They have a bit of a fight and it's like, oh, will they, won't they, will they get back together? They make up, they get married and then they ride off into the sunset with the credits coming down and we're like happily ever after. And that's the the narrative we're sold, and that almost feels like to be applied on our lives and our romances, our uh, relationships and our dreams of of what God has for us. But this morning, I want to ask the question, what do we do when the happy ever after becomes an unmitigated disaster? Or more, more, uh, give you more traction is, what do you do when your dreams haven't come true? Because I think that's more real for us. So the question I put to you today, maybe you're single and you just wish that friendship would ignite. Or, or you or you're maybe single and you're getting frustrated and tired of waiting for Mr. or Miss Wright. Maybe you're married, but the passion has waned and you just don't know how to get it back again. Or maybe you're divorced and you wish you could have it all to do it again. Or, or, or you just even wish you could just have your ex deleted out of your life for good. Wherever you find yourself in the relational spectrum, I want to say today that I believe too many of us fall short of what God has for us because we settle for the dream the ideal, idealized picture of what we think relationships should look like, but we don't know how to actually walk into the destiny that God's got for us. We get stuck between the dream and the destiny. And I want to say this morning that I believe that between the dream and the destiny, there's some detours that we need to learn how to navigate so we don't get derailed. I put it another way, that between the promise and the promised land, as we look at the biblical narratives, there's some processes we have to work through if we don't want to plateau. So, this morning we're going to find some strategies from the life of Joseph. So if you are unfamiliar with the Bible, we're going to be preaching from the text Genesis 37 all the way to chapter 50. 13 verses. Yeah, it's all happening today. Don't worry, we're not going to read it all. So cancel your lunch plans. But uh, the next 20 minutes, 25 minutes, we're going to go through 13 years of biblical text together. So it's strapping, it's going to be good. But actually we find this man, Joseph. If you're unaware of Joseph and the story, his story begins, he's the, he's the, the 11th of 12 sons born to Jacob and, and his many wives. This is, is a, quite a sordid tale if you flick back. It's, it's, it puts the young and the restless to shame, the type of the romantic disasters that are going on. But Joseph is born into this family and, uh, and he is the dad, his dad's favorite. And I just, if you were taking notes and you've got 12 kids, this is one surefire way for things to go wrong is make one of them your favorite and let the other 11 know. So if you're taking note, 12 kids, write that down. I see a few people, 12 kids don't make one the favorite. Good. Well done. We're just going to keep going. If he, two, three, let's just keep going. But this is the thing. What he does was he, Joseph's dad, Jacob, makes him the favorite and, and, and the brother's already a bit opposed to him. But then Joseph is a dreamer and he has this dream that comes to him about what God has got for him in the future. And it's a dream that is of his brothers bowing down to him. This is, you can go read it at home for the, all the, fill in all the gaps. But he has this dream of all his brothers bowing down to him. And Joseph comes and he does something possibly quite foolish. He tells his brothers, this is the dream that God's given me. You're going to bow down to me. I imagine as the youngest brother of three, I wonder how he thought that would turn out. But it turned out not in his favor. If we find out what happened actually is that this man with his dream in his, in his head of, of actually his brothers bowing down to him. Maybe this a bit of an immature dream, something that's not fully fleshed out. But the story goes this way. Whereas his, as he shares this with his brothers, we, we see the story start to take root in their hearts. But if you flick all the way through to chapter 50, the story ends with this dream coming true. 
with Joseph, not in, in where he was, where he was born with his brothers, but actually in a foreign land in Egypt, as the head of the second in charge of Egypt, second in charge of over with Pharaoh, and with his brothers bowing down before him. And actually much more than just the initial thought of him bowing down, he's now actually being able through this dream that he didn't ever comprehend would happen, is able to feed and rescue the nation of Israel. Just the dream, just is, the dream and the destiny are small in comparison to what God has got for him. But actually the amazing thing is if we look at the story, the dream, if you just looked at the dream, the beginning, and look at the end, you go, that's an amazing happily ever after story. The problem is there's a lot of drama that happens in between that we have to learn to navigate. And I think God is going to help us with wherever we're at this morning from this text. So there's three stanzas I want to take you through this morning. A little bit of a different way of preaching this morning, but just work with me. I believe there's three things that we have to learn to, de- some details we learn to have to learn to navigate if we're going to walk into what God has got for us. Everyone okay? Give me a wave this morning, everyone. Come on, it's good, good to be together. So the first one is going to be on the screen now. It's learning to navigate the detour of disappointment. You see, what happens is if we flick back to the story, Genesis 37 culminates with him telling his brothers this. This is the dream. The brothers don't react well. And, the, and actually, the people that he trust, entrusts his dream to, the people that he says, actually, you're the people that I, I'm going to trust my future with. This is what I believe God's got for me. Those very people are the people that let him down. Quite literally, they let him down into a pit. Not just metaphorically. This is literal. They go, actually, Joseph, we're sick of you being the favorite. We're sick of you coming in and parading your dreams in front of us. Actually, who do you think you are? And they take him into the wilderness. They let him down into a pit. And they frame, they, they, they make this, they tell their father that Joseph has been killed. And in this disaster story, as Joseph is in the pit, we see the opposition starts to rise up in his heart. You can imagine a, a thing of disappointment and frustration starting to take in. We're going, actually, I trust them with my dreams, and I've been let down bad. Now, let's bring it into reality here for us. I want to say, when you have expectation on people, you open yourself up to frustration. Let's be honest. It's the, that's why the people closest to you will be the people who hurt you the worst. Because you expect something. Now, that's not a bad thing. It's just I think we've got to be, rea- be realistic about it and understand that that is the reality of life. That when we have expectation, we open up to frustration. You see, this is something that is not new. It's not a, a, a new game in the, in the world when we see even with Joseph. It's not new to our culture today. But actually from page 2 of the Bible, the first relationship has a strain of disappointment on it. Eve disappoints Adam by taking the fruit, not, not actually and, and, and opening up sin. Adam disappoints Eve because actually Adam should have chopped that snake's head off before he... Talking snake, dead. That's the second point if you're taking notes. Snake talks to you, kill it. Don't mess around with it. You see, they both disappoint each other, and this frustration sets in in the relationship. They hide, and the first thing they actually do in relationship is they start blaming one another. Frustration sets in, and he says, she made me do it. No, no, he made me do it. And human relationships have never been the same since. Hiding, blame, silent treatment becomes the order of the day when frustration sets in. I want to say it in this way. Fiona and I, when we got married, a bliss, amazing, the, the wedding day was spectacular. But then real life sets in, and I've got this expectation on Fiona. She is perfect, and she is, guys, so just bear with me. And she thinks Gabe is perfect, and I am most of the time. Most of the time. But you see, the, the thing is, we realize we, together there's two different people here. And I'm an over-communicator. I like to talk about everything. How I feel. I want to tell how that moment impacted me. But the problem with that is that unrestrained, 
with the, with the feisty nature of who I am, sometimes when there was frustration set in our relationship, my over-communication would boil over into anger. And I'll just say what I feel because I'm communicating. This is how you made me feel, Fee, and fly off the handle. And I thought I was doing a great job. Fee, on the other hand, is the girl, her default is just to shut down. But Gabe, you frustrated me? You'll know because I'm not talking to you. I'm like, what did I do wrong? And the silent treat, like, hello? Hello, anything, any, anyone in there? And it was, we realized very quickly that these two defaults were not going to get us very far. You see, the reason why is that the enemy wants us to, wants to sabotage our future by getting us to settle in disappointment or frustration. Now, here's the thing. Frustration is to be expected, but to settle in it is the problem. Maybe I say it in this way. Joseph was in a pit, and I want to say I believe the, the, the word of the Lord to us today. Here it's deep. Don't sit in the pit. Don't sit in the pit. Don't stay there for too long because actually the incredible thing is disappointment and frustration aren't disqualifiers, but they're rather an opportunity for us to walk in the gospel. Truly see if we believe the gospel. You see, for us, we had to make decisions. Though, though we are different, though there's different ways we process, we cannot allow them to say, that's just who I am. Because actually we go, but he is calling us to a different standard, a different response. So when we are frustrated with each other, we have made a decision. Though we are different and we process frustration and disappointment in one another differently, we had to refuse to let our frustration fester. So scriptures that have become, and we are, are new at this game, so bear with me. We're only four or five years in on this journey. But, but on this journey, biblically, the standard that we have is not uh, length of years together, but what the Bible has got for us, the destiny God's got for us. We love scriptures say, don't let your son go down in your anger. Refuse to allow that thing. Silent treatment in our home has been banned. Because that's the, the incredible thing with the Heavenly Father. He never does silent treatment with us. He never does timeouts with us. He never says, I'm frustrated, give me a moment. He never does it. Thank you. That's good. Come on. I like it. I like it. Good people. So we're people that actually have to learn to be quick to, quick to apologize, quick to extend forgiveness. And the thing that we are learning is to believe the best in one another. And it's an incredible thing in every relationship. Actually, that thing I used to say, I'm, I'm just cynical by nature. And I realized the great news with the gospel is he's taken out my old nature and put a new nature in. So my, if I'm cynical by nature, if that's what you're standing on, the problem is that's not who you were created to be in God's image. He's called you to be a person of optimism who believes the best. Now, is that easy? No. Because when there's the expectation, there always will be frustration, but just don't sit in the pit. But here, let's get really real today. Is roll back the years to my mom when she was getting married at the age of 23 to her first husband, who was not my father, and they got married, and they, um, it was bliss, incredible. And they lived together for five years. But in, in that journey, he, con- he, he got cancer. And my mom spent the, many of those five years with these dreams of what their future would look like. But finding those dreams starting to get disappointed and starting to lose their shine as she was going to the hospital in and out, in and out, in and out, and walking that journey with her, with her man. And what happened, those five years ended with, with him passing away. So at the same time, actually six months later, that her, her dad died of cancer. And it was just before her husband died that her brother was murdered in England. In the space of a year, she lost the three closest men to her. Woman of faith with dreams, with what God's going, is happily ever after in front, but then disappointment sits in. Now, you know what? I can imagine in that moment, talking to my mom, she says, at that moment, she felt like God had left her in a pit. It wasn't someone else that disappointed her. She felt that God had disappointed her. Now, 
There's this incredible book that I, I'd love to recommend. A man named R.T. Kendall wrote a book called Forgiving God. And at first you think it's blasphemy because he, he, he never's in our debt. God never makes a mistake. And that's true. But here's the thing, though. I think too often we hold the only one who can lift us out of the pit at arm's length away because we think he's disappointed us. He hasn't met our stands or we think should happen in our journeys. Today, uh, without trying to be crass or quick, I just think because this is such a deep thing, and maybe there's some sore points in people's lives, but I think too often people have say, felt that God has let them down. God hasn't come through for me. My marriage shouldn't be where it is. God, you told me to love this person, but look at the way they've treated me. God, you said that this would happen, and look what's happened. I felt that everything's fallen away. God, you said that somebody, I wouldn't be single this long, but where's the person? I've obeyed you. I've been faithful, but where is that person? And sometimes it feels like God has let us down. Today, I want to encourage you that actually go on a journey of forgiving God. I'm not saying that he doesn't needs our forgiveness, but I think in our own hearts to allow God into the space of pain, because only when we allow him into that frustration can we start to walk free of it. I want to just encourage you today that God is faithful, and God is good, and God is kind. This morning, point number two, second detour. First one is disappointment. Second one is distraction. The story of Joseph continues a headlong along in chapter 39 of Genesis, where he's out of his pit, he gets, uh, he gets pulled out, but not by his brothers, not by a, a new safety or something to a great new season of joy. No, he gets pulled out by slave traders. He's sold into slavery, human trafficking. Joseph becomes a human trafficked into slavery and taken to a foreign land of Egypt, where he's sold to a man named Potiphar. And Potiphar is this massive man, and he, he's, he's, got, he's, got, he's quite close to the, the, the Pharaoh of Egypt. He's a political figure, and Joseph finds a job there. And I can imagine Joseph, as he starts to work in this foreign land, let down by his brothers. Now he's in this foreign land working, and he's going, that dream? How, I couldn't be further away from that dream. I'm at the lowest rung of society now. How, what is going on here, God? I can imagine that was going through his head. And what I love about this is that the Bible tells us that Joseph was tall and handsome. So if you're wanting a figure, just, you can picture me if you want. Just if you want. Um, but I love the Bible because it tells us that. Why that's amazing is because the name Potiphar in the Egyptian language means fat bull. I love that. That the Bible is contrasting that he's working for fat bull. You can just picture whoever you want there. So it's really not a really good looking guy, I can imagine. Sweating a lot and just, I don't know, like in my head, Danny DeVito. That's who I picture. I don't know if you remember. Just short and a little bit, always a little angry. And we've got this tall and handsome guy. Why does the Bible do this? Because we realize there's a third character in the home called Potiphar's wife. And she's a sultry, very good looking woman. And she, her eye catches, she's got fat bull. And tall and handsome. Fat bull and tall and handsome. She ends up going, she gets a fancy for, for tall and handsome and goes after Joseph. And it's, it's the Bible tells us first is, is the temptation is slow and eroding. But then she just starts coming straight out with it. She goes up to him and says, hey, sleep with me. Just and with a little bit of a wink, I can imagine. You know? And uh, this amazing thing that happens here. Joseph responds in a dramatic way. When Joseph, Joseph says no to her, because at first says Joseph's trying to keep out of her way. But eventually he says, just sleep with me. And Joseph says, no. And if you go read it, we don't have time to go through all of it now. But I think it's deep and fascinating, his, his response to temptation. He says, my master trusts me. He's held nothing back from me except you. And this would be a great sin against God. He has a great understanding of authority. He has a great understanding of the sanctity of marriage. And he has a great understanding of sin and God. 
deep theology right there. I could preach that for days, but we're not going to settle that now. But this incredible understanding is that Joseph is in this, in this foreign place. He's got this dream in his heart, but there comes this detour of distraction. Now, let me say it in this way. The Bible tells us we must be aware because the enemy roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now, in my Bible, that's in 1 Peter, I've underlined the word devour because he doesn't say a roaming lion who's looking to roar at you or intimidate you or make you a little bit uncomfortable or stress you out a little bit. No, the Bible tells us the enemy has a, a job to devour you. In John 10, it tells us to destroy you, to steal from you, to kill you. The enemy is not trying to play games. The enemy might seem innocent, might seem just an infatuation, might just seem like a little detour, but I promise you this detour will lead to death. So the question I want to say is, how did Joseph respond so radically when he could have possibly justified doing it? You see, Joseph could have possibly justified, probably said, you know what, this is gift that God's got for me. God gave me the dream that I'll be, I'm now in Egypt. Maybe she'll be the one who gets me favor to help the nation of Israel. I can, if I get faith, if I work with her, you know what, we can keep it secret. And actually, she's got, she can put in a good word with Potiphar, get promoted quickly. Hey, this is what God's got for me. You know, we're good at justifying. But Joseph refused to justify in that moment. And I want to say, how did he do it? I, want, I believe that actually he had already had conviction settled in his heart. And let me explain what conviction is. Conviction is a decision made before time. Conviction is a decision made ahead of time. You see, so many of us say, you know what, when the pressure hits, I'll respond well. But I promise you, if you leave your decision to the moment, the heat of the moment, you'll start thinking with your feelings, your passions, your lusts, the things that are due you, and not actually with the heart that God's given you. Put it in practical sense. Fee and I were dating. We we dated for nine months before we got engaged, and it was beautiful, it was pure, it was wonderful, it was easy. And then I dropped the knee, we got engaged. And all of a sudden, we had three months till we got married, and all of a sudden, we thought, we're going to get married anyway. That's the sort of temptation started to settle in. And those next three months, if I'm honest, were the hardest three months to stay pure before the wedding. They were the hardest three months for us. I promise you, it's by God's grace, Fiona's strength, because, I mean, look at her. She's very pretty. But um, also, a thing called conviction. I'm so grateful that we didn't leave it till the moments of pressure to say, oh, whoa, whoa, now let's talk. What do we actually believe in this moment? God calls us, he gives us moments of grace to make decisions ahead of time, to have convictions in our lives, so that when the pressure hits, we are not able to be thrown about to and fro. Which way do we go? Conviction is a decision made ahead of time. Because why is this impossible, uh, is important? Because feelings are an appetite that demand to be satisfied and resolved now. An appetite it's something that needs to be controlled. You see, feelings will betray you. Let me say it again. Feelings will betray you. They will sell you an immediate release for the price of your future. It will be immediate satisfaction. This thing will be dressed up as happily ever after, but it will lead you to disaster. Feelings will say things like this. I deserve this. Feelings say things like, it's just harmless fun. Feelings will say, everyone does it. Feelings will say, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. Why did Joseph do it? I think he knew it because he saw the devastation that happened because of his, his father and his uncle. I don't know if you know their story, Jacob and Esau. Joe's dad, Jacob, was the second born of his family. Esau was his uncle. Esau was the firstborn, the son of Isaac, who was a son of Abraham. 
Esau was the one in the culture of the day who was going to inherit a destiny. He had a dream that actually I've got a big future. And actually because he was the firstborn in the family, he was going to inherit everything of the father's wealth. He was going to inherit everything of the family's inheritance. Esau had it laid before him. But in a moment of appetites unrestrained, Jacob came to Esau. And Jacob said, Esau, give me your birthright. Give me your inheritance. Give me your future now. And Esau said, no, no, but whoa, 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 why, why would I do that? He said, well, the reason why, he said, if you give me your birthright, I'll give you this pot of lentil stew. Now, I know the vegans here are like, hmm, that sounds nice. But let's be real, lentil stew, no one's ordering that these days. Come on. Lisa, stay with me, stay with me. But lentil stew, he says, I'll give you this lentil stew. Why? Because he was tapping into an appetite at that moment. Esau says this. This is the line in the scripture. Esau says, what good is my birthright? I am so hungry now I would die. Because the feelings had raised their heads. The appetite said, satisfy me now. And in that moment, he sold his birthright to Jacob, the inheritance, the future of the family. And he said, and I'll take the stew and eat it now. Do you know what the terrifying thing of that is? If you turn all the way to the book of even Matthew, when you start reading, and it's in every Jewish home to this day, when they say the blessing of who God is to them, in the book of Matthew it says this, we serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and it should have said Esau. But it says Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because the firstborn said, actually I'm going to give room to my appetites because I despise my future. Feelings demand. Feelings say, I'll satisfy you now, but it'll demand your future. Let me say it this way. The call of God is at complete odds to our comfort, convenience, and compromise. The call of God is at complete odds to our comfort, convenience, and compromise. I want to charge us today. Deal with the distractions. This is the, the, the weapon by prizing the call of God in your life. Sir, ma'am, God has got a call on your life. The enemy wants you to say, no, no, but you've been disappointed. Sit in the pit. What's the call? The enemy wants to actually distract you from it. Actually satisfy yourself. You deserve it. You deserve a little bit of your time, a little bit of your pleasure. The enemy wants to get us on detours when actually there's a prize ahead of us. So today I want to say when the whisper of lust comes, when the lure of that private message comes, when the seduction of their secretive glance comes, prize the call of God. So we find disappointment. We find the distraction. And finally this morning, we find the dead end. You see, Joseph responds. He says, he says I'm not going to do this. Eventually she comes and says, sleep with me, man. And it says Joseph did what any self-respecting guy should do in that situation, or girl in that situation. He ran. He did not reason with sin. He did not try and let's talk and make a plan. Maybe we'll hold hands on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, sneak a kiss on Thursday. Is that okay for you? No, no, he didn't reason. He ran. It said he sprinted out of there. Because Bible, the Bible actually tells us that when we deal with sexual sin, the only way to deal with sexual temptation, it says, is flee. That's what it says. Flee from it. The only sin that says flee from. Don't entertain. Flee from it. So Joseph runs dramatically. She grabs his he, he pulls the coat off. He bolts out the door. Just like I can imagine. He's like, gone. Help me, Lord. Get me out of here. That vixen. Get me out of here, Lord. And uh, she then, she panics. Her, her pride is on life. So she starts yelling. This isn't the Bible, guys. Who needs soapies? Who needs Netflix when you've got this? So she says, rape. He's raped me. He's raped me. She calls, uh, calls a scene because now she, she's angry at Joseph. Potiphar, fat bull, comes home. He doesn't know who to believe, but he's going to believe his wife. So 
He believes her and he has Joseph on this false allegation thrown into prison. Now we pick up the story there as Joseph in chapter 40 is sitting in a prison cell in Egypt. I can, can you imagine this? He's, he's, he's sitting there. I can imagine you go, a pit I can get hauled out of. Temptation I can run away from. But this prison, I'm stuck. No matter what I do, I'm stuck. I can't get out of here. This is the third chapter. It's dead ends. And, and, and as I read this, I started to realize, I think that there are a lot of people, even in my own heart, where we've been imprisoned by our past. Imprisoned by our addiction. We've been imprisoned by the failed relationship, imprisoned by the weight of sin. But this morning, I've got such courage and joy in my heart to tell our fickle hearts that the gospel doesn't just have the power to forgive you. It has the power to set you free. The gospel doesn't just have the power to say, forgiven, but stay forgiven in your prison. It has the power to bust those chains and set you free. This is the power of the gospel. Some of you don't believe me. John Piper says this way. He says, theology can conquer biology. Theology can conquer the, the, the sins of your flesh. Theology, I want to add, can conquer your history. And why, when I say theology, I'm not meaning heady, more knowledge. I'm meaning what the very essence of theology means. Knowing God. Theology meaning fully knowing experientially what Jesus has done. Let me read it for you. Colossians 2, verse 13 to 15. One of my favorite texts in Scripture says this. And you, that's me and me and you today, you were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive, made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our sins by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. That's verse 14. All good stuff. But then it carries on. doesn't stop there. Verse 15 says this. Jesus then disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, triumphing them over them by the cross. You see what happens in this text was powerful. We find out that actually we're made alive in Jesus. We're then forgiven in Jesus. We have the debt, the record of our debt canceled in Jesus. We have that nailed to the cross where it can never resurrect itself. But not only that, he disarms the enemies against us and he triumphs over them. This is the victory. Too many people stop with, yes, my debt has been removed, but I'm going to still walk around with this trailer behind me. I really believe today we, there's a faith in my heart to deal with trailers. Trailers, meaning the thing that you drag behind you, the past sexual mistakes, the hidden addictions, the exes that have stayed around in the memory too long, the regrets, the pain. Because I believe this, that you and I, often we're not satisfied with where we are because we're carrying baggage from where we've been. We're not thriving where we are because we're still dragging the baggage from 10, 20 years ago to where we are. And we're thinking, why am I not finding freedom? You see, I think a lot of us are trying to make progress in this area. But we feel like we keep getting hauled back, like we're dragging a trailer up a hill. And then we, we, we're having to shift the gears. It feels like hard work to get up this hill. But actually, Jesus said, actually, there's only one who carried a trailer up a hill. His name was Jesus Christ. And he carried that trailer up the hill, and forever that trailer has been hitched to the cross. To set you and I free. What I love about this is actually Joseph understood this. Years later, if you fast forward, we'll come back to land now. But he named his two children Manasseh and Ephraim. This is so powerful because Manasseh means the Lord has helped me forget. Ephraim means the Lord has made me fruitful. Don't you? I love that. 
He names his children. A guy who's had detours every long way along the journey. He has one of the most hectic lives as he's been disappointed and let down. As he's been falsely accused and tried to have, uh, been charged of rape falsely. Has been thrown in prison. And then he names his children. God has helped me forget. Removing the, the, the guilt that's there. But he's also made me fruitful. And I believe many people are here and singing. They're going, yeah, God, I know God has forgiven me. But I want to say God's wanting to make you fruitful. God is wanting to open up destinies for you. Not just living in the shadow of a dream once that was, but actually saying, I have not given up on you yet. Here's the thing as I land. The power of this whole story is that actually nestled in the pit, as you read at home, nestled in the time he's in the pit, nestled in Potiphar's house, and nestled in the prison is this line in every single stanza and chapter of the story. It says this, in every single line it says this, and the Lord was with Joseph. I love that. He's in the pit, and it says, and the Lord was with Joseph. He was in part of his house and the Lord was with Joseph. He was in the prison and the Lord was with Joseph. I want to tell you, the Lord is with you. This shouldn't freak you out. Shouldn't make you realize that, oh, it shouldn't freak you out that God's eyes are on you. Because you know what? He doesn't see you through eyes of disapproval. He doesn't see you with eyes of disappointment. His presence is not a sign of condemnation. It's actually an invitation. God's presence with you today, sir, ma'am. You might go, you don't know what I've done. I want to tell you, the Lord is with you. And he's inviting you to respond to him today. I want to say today, we have, we have been given the power. The power is the fact that the Lord is with us, not our ability to make good decisions. Because can I tell you, your good decisions won't get you very far. I said it at a youth event this week. I said, let me tell you, this, you if I stood here and told you that you're awesome, I'd be lying. Because if I tell you you're awesome, that means you have to walk out here and be awesome. And we know that disappointment is just around the corner. We know that detours and distractions and dead ends are just around the corner. The great news of the gospel is not that you're awesome, but he is awesome and he is with you. That's the courage of the gospel that we pick up today. And when we understand that, we have the ability to not sit in the pit. We have the ability to prize the call of God above our temptation. We have the ability to be fruitful because the Lord is with us. I want to land today to tell you that actually the great news of the gospel today is actually that in terms of relationships and your sexuality and where you've been, God has got bigger dreams for you. I love the fact that Joseph's dream that he had initially in chapter 37 paled into insignificance of the reality of that in chapter 50. My brothers will bow down to me. Awesome. Feeding a teenage ego. Chapter 50, second command of, of Egypt, a foreign land. His brothers who are representing Israel come and they bow down to him, dream coming true. But actually that's when the destiny only started to kick in. It wasn't about the dream, it was about the nation of Israel. Because of the pit, because of Potiphar's house, because of the prison, it got Joseph to be in the palace where he was able to feed a nation. Dream versus destiny always is much bigger when we trust Jesus. I land by telling this. In our family on the 16th of March is a date that for many years held quite a lot of horror, a lot of pain, a lot of sadness in our family. Because it was on the 16th of March that my mom's brother was murdered on the 16th of March. It was another year later that on the 16th of March my mom's dad died. And it was a few years later on the 16th of March that my dad's mom died. 16th of March was a date that we always just wanted to get through. Just if we could skip 15th to 17th, it would have been wonderful. Until the year 2017. Because on the 20, year 2017, and I don't believe in coincidence, I believe God is involved, the Lord is with us. On the 16th of March 2017, our baby girl Olivia Grace was born. On that date, forever redeeming that date for my family. 
Now we named our daughter Olivia Grace. Olivia meaning peace. Grace meaning grace. It's deep. One of the reasons why we believed is that actually she would be a gift to our family to redeem what the enemy had stolen. That actually in the moments of great horror, pain, trailers that we never wanted to let go of because we, it just was so terrifying. We believe that God was saying, I'll pour my peace and my grace into every one of those hearts. I want to tell you today that I believe that there is nothing too far that God cannot redeem. And then if you open up your heart, if you're sitting in a pit today of disappointment, if you're feeling that there's a distraction, there's all the, you're being pulled left and right, and you're feeling like you're on the verge of giving up an inheritance, if you feel like you're at a dead end and you don't know how to progress, I want to tell you, no matter what you've done, God says, I can redeem with my peace and grace. Because the Lord is with you. The greatest news of all in this whole story is the fact that Joseph is a lesser hero compared to our greater hero named Jesus. Joseph is a lesser hero to Jesus. Let me tell you why. Joseph, just like Jesus, was dearly loved by his father. Joseph, just like Jesus, was a shepherd of his father's sheep. Joseph, just like Jesus, was hated by his brothers, stripped of his clothing, and sold for the price of a slave. Joseph, just like Jesus, was taken to Egypt to tempt him. Joseph, just like Jesus, was falsely accused, bound in chains, and condemned with criminals. Joseph, just like Jesus, suffered, but then was highly exalted. Joseph, just like Jesus, started his ministry when he was 30 years old. Joseph, just like Jesus, began his public service at that age. Joseph, just like Jesus, wept for his brothers, forgave those who had wronged him, and ultimately saved them from certain death. Moreover, what God did hurt for them, that one of the last lines in chapter 50 says, what, what the enemy had planned for evil, God had planned for good. Jesus is our greater Joseph. So today I'm not saying be like Joseph. I'm saying look to him. Jesus, who is the greater Joseph in every single situation you're facing. Can we pray in this moment? I'd love the band to come up. I've had such passion to preach this for a long time. But I felt today in this, in this, in this, in this sex series, I felt God wants to redeem. I, I, this is not a, a way forward of actually how we get better relationships. How we can all never be able to thrive in relationships until we have His forgiveness and His power setting us free. And I believe there's many people here who've been carrying trailers for far too long. But I think today in Seamount Hall, the best way we can honor Jesus is by trusting Him with those areas that we've held on for too long. I'm going to ask you to stand if that's all right. This morning, if it's all right, we'll be done in five minutes. We've got donuts for free. We've got coffee. But for the next five minutes, can we do business with God? If you're comfortable here and you're saying, I need to respond to Jesus, today is a day. Maybe you've, you've been sitting in the pit for way too long of disappointment at your spouse, at your season, at your situation. Maybe today you actually need to forgive God and allow the one who can set you, lift you out, draw near. Maybe you, you're under, feeling like you're under attack, temptation. You're saying today, I need to delete those messages. I need to walk away from that addiction. I need to turn away from that relationship because I know it's not helping me, but I need God's strength. Maybe today you're feeling like there's this dead end that you've been in for long, and maybe it's not even now, but it's been for years you've been carrying that trailer. I want to tell you, Jesus today says he's, gonna, he's here. The power is here. But he responds 
when we respond in faith and say, I trust you. He's not looking for our works. He's not looking for our ability to set ourselves free. He says, I will set you free. But will you trust me? Even, even as we are praying now, I just have a picture of a, in the sense of when you go and buy a house, if you go buy a house and they say, we're going to sell the house to you. And he looked and in the corner, there was this back room. He said, can I have keys for that back room? And they're like, no, 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 don't worry. You can have the house, but that back room's ours. We'll come and stay in it every now and again. You wouldn't be too happy. I think today's the day Jesus says, actually, will you hand me the keys for that back room? Will you hand me the keys for that room that's your secret shame, your pain, your brokenness? Will you hand that to me? If that's you today and you're saying, Jesus, I need a touch from you. I need to know the Lord is with me. I need you to redeem with your peace and your grace and your righteousness in this moment. I'm going to ask you to lift your hands as high as you can to heaven. There's grace on this moment for freedom.